following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 69 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are wrong on Rotten Tomatoes and we reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2005's The Amityville Horror, directed by Andrew Douglas, starring Ryan Reynolds, Melissa George, and Philip Baker Hall. The Amityville Horror is a 2005 biography graphical horror film. It is a remake of the 1979 film of the same name, which itself was based on the 1977 novel of the same name. The film currently holds a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? On November 14th, 1974, police received a frantic phone call that led them to the DeFeo residence, where they made a grisly discovery. Six bodies, the entire DeFeo family, all slaughtered with a 35 caliber as they slept calmly in their beds. Ronald DeFeo confessed to methodically murdering his parents and four siblings and claimed it was the voices that told him to do it. One year later, on November 18, 1975, George and Kathy Lutz, along with three children, moved into the house, thinking it was going to be their dream. <laughs> what? Like, what? What do you... It's just really badly written. That's all. There's nothing... There's no secret. It's just really poorly written. I'm, I'm thinking I'm, like, about to come out to, like, and then he touched his dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like... Okay. George and Kathy Lutz, along with their three children, moved into the house thinking it was going to be their dream home, especially if their dreams were nightmares. <laughs> 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 the Lutz family only lasted 28 days in their home after they were terrorized by a demonic force that drove them away. Based on the true story of George and Kathy Lutz, the Amityville Horror remains one of the most horrifying haunted house stories ever told. <laughs> because it actually happened! <laughs> Who writes this stuff? Who wrote this? Just to be clear, Martin didn't add that. That was in the synopsis. No, no, it's in the synopsis. It's, it's, it's hyphenated and then in, in, in ex- exclamations because it actually happened. <laughs> Which isn't true. Okay, the Amityville Horror. What is your history with this? I was first exposed to uh, the story of the Amityville Horror through the Eminem song, Mentally Ill in Amityville. <laughs> <laughs> wow. When I was but a wee lad. <laughs> oh, when you were two years old, right? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm 17. <laughs> no, I've I saw the original and my first exposure to this movie I think was when it was released to DVD. I didn't like it. That's all I have to say about what a surprise. it. Surprise. Yeah. I have no history with this film. I had no interest in this. I still have no interest in this. As for me, I have no history with this movie. I never wanted to see it. <laughs> I didn't want to watch it now. <laughs> Yet, here we are. The Amityville Horror. Kevin, this really was a nightmare. It, yeah, it really was Because a it really happened. We actually Because it really it. happened. We we did watch this movie. Okay, let's do it. We always do the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. First up, making his triumphant return to Yes That Bad. It's been like 60 episodes since we've seen this guy. Ryan Reynolds. He he was off the charts on the beefcake scale. Unreal. Yeah, I can't hammer that home hard enough. He was... I thought it was CG. It was just it unbelievable. Was, it was ridiculous. He was shirtless, chopping wood. <sighs> 
Man, he was kicking that wood's ass, man. It was amazing. He made that little boy cry when he chopped that wood, and his... That little boy was crying because he knew he would never attain <laughs> that level of No, beef. no, yeah, yeah. He wasn't scared of the axe. He was, he was terrified that he would never be as beefy of a man as Ryan Reynolds is. <laughs> I think we all suffer with from that. We we all started crying. <laughs> <laughs> all three of us burst into tears together. We just hung our heads in shame with the knowledge we'll never be as beefy. There were moments, especially in that one wood chopping scene, where yeah, that was the highlight. He he was legitimately acting. He's trapped in a terrible movie, <laughs> and there's there's nothing. There was really nothing for him to do. He thought it was going to be his dream movie, but what really it turned into a oh. nightmare <laughs> because the story actually happened. <laughs> it actually happened. <laughs> I just really think he was held back by the writing and, the, and this material. Yeah, he didn't have any supporting uh, actors to help him out either. No. And I'm, I'm not really sure the director helped him out. That one scene, he was acting phenomenally. I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the wood chopping yeah, scene with yeah. the boy. That was yeah. that was great. It was almost like it fell out of a good movie and then into this really bad movie. And then well, bounced out and really then bounced quick. bounced out really quick. It was like the one real thing in this whole stupid movie, right? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds is wasted in this thing. Absolutely, totally wasted. Bad performances all around. Piss poor. What about his beard? Facial hair. Oh. No, that wasn't wasted. Not it was, on me. It was pretty strong That was facial hair. top-notch Brillo face. Yeah. Good job, Ryan. Because he's usually as clean cut as they come. It, let's just face it. That guy, he must be pumping 10 times the amount of testosterone through his veins <laughs> than the rest of us combined. Yeah. I, I heard that the sex scene in the movie was CG because she couldn't, the actress could not handle actually being on top of Brian Reynolds' <laughs> loins. It would kill her. <laughs> Speaking of which, next up, Melissa George. Yeah, just... I first saw this woman in a movie called Triangle, which I recommend you check out. It's a lot better than this movie. But Kevin, on the other hand, he has a very deep, deep, deep love for this woman because she appeared in one of his favorite TV shows. All right, you're, you're, enough of this already. <laughs> you're taking things too far. That's what we do on this show. <laughs> We drive things we kill into the ground. Things. We kill things. Yeah. Kevin, I'm literally sweating. We bring them back to life and we kill them again. I'm sweating with anticipation as to what this show could be. Well, yeah. So this is Melissa George and she was on Grey's Anatomy. How oh, save your life! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to share with you anymore. Okay, so... She's unimpressive in this movie. Nope. Is she good in, on Grey's Anatomy? I, I don't I really don't remember. <laughs> I really don't. don't. I mean, this is when I stopped watching it. Yeah. It was like on in the background. I would notice her face. That was it. I, I don't know. All I have to go on is her performance in this movie, which was not impressive. Well, I'll say this. She's one of those people that actually does have a super British accent as opposed to I hope somebody Jolie Richards. Says, says she's Australian. Yeah, whatever. She has a super accent of some unknown origin and she masks it pretty well in this movie. And finally, next up, Philip Baker Hall. Now, this is a guy who you do not know his name, but I guarantee you, you know his face. He's probably been in 20 or 30 million movies. At least. Yeah, I looked it up. I I was rattling them off. Yeah. It was pretty much every movie I've seen for the past 20 years. (laughs) What was he in? Ghostbusters 2, like every Rush Hour movie. In Good Company. In Good Company. Truman Show. Yes, he's like this old man. 
man who's always been old, as far as I'm concerned. Like, when I was young, he was old. He, it doesn't look he, like he's he, aged. Yeah, he plays the crotchety old guy all the time. He's a very good actor. He's very competent and... Definitely. Definitely. He played, good character actor. Yeah, absolutely. He played the priest in this movie that tried to perform in an exorcism. It was... That was a pretty cool scene. And his acting was pretty impeccable. Yeah, I mean, this, guy, this guy's good. He's good at playing that role. Wasted in this movie. Huh, wasn't in it that much. All right, so that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a couple of people that are in the background of this movie. Who we'll, we'll get, we'll really, get to. Really not gonna we'll, we'll get to right. them. We'll get to them. I want to. Don't. I don't want to spoil the surprise because there's some interesting cameos in this movie. We'll, we'll get to them later. Okay, let's get into the brief history of the Amityville horror. MGM claimed the remake was based on new information uncovered during research of the original events, but George Lutz later claimed nobody ever spoke to him or his family about this project. Kevin, what do you think about that? New research brought to life what we saw in film? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a stone-cold lock, right? By the way, where's Melissa George from? I guess she was English. Mm. Australian. Australian. Oh, boom! Yeah! Thank you. Don't worry, guys. You don't have to write in now. <laughs> <laughs> Save your emails for later. When George Lutz initially heard it was underway, his attorney contacted the studio to find out what they had in the planning stages and to express Lutz's belief that they didn't have the right to proceed without his input. Remember, Lutz is the father right. in this movie. Well, it portrays him in a pretty negative way. Three letters were sent and none were acknowledged. In June 2004, the studio filed a motion for declaratory relief in federal courts, insisting they had the right to do a remake, and Lutz countersued, citing violations of the original contract that had continued through the years following the release of the first film. The case remained unresolved when Lutz died in May 2006. Ryan Reynolds chose not to become close with his movie children. He wasn't mean or rude to them, just very distant. So distant, in fact, that the children often confided to those on the set that Ryan doesn't like us. Ryan said that he didn't want to fall in love with the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Don't tell me stuff like that. Come on. Ryan did this so that when George started changing, he'd have no trouble easing into the verbal and physical abuse. This was the last picture Metro Golden Mire, or MGM, released as an independent company on April 8th, 2005. The studio was acquired by several companies, including Sony, in the middle of the promotion for the movie. Several other films, including Into the Blue and The Pink Panther, were already produced and set for release by MGM at the time of the buyout, and were later released by Sony pictures. The Amityville Horror made how much worldwide? How much did it cost? I'm going to say $90 million. 150 mil. Kevin wins $108 million. And it may shock you to know this movie was not screened for critics. Shocking. I, I don't believe it. I just don't believe that it. That must be all. a misprint. Did you get this from Wikipedia? <laughs> Okay, the Amityville Horror. So this movie starts off in typical style with a cold open flashback, but I guess it makes sense for a movie like this to start off this way. Yeah. There's this house in Long Island. Yeah, that's how we all speak here in <laughs> the New York metropolitan area. Yeah, there's this house in Long Island where a man, he went bug nuts <laughs> and started shooting his family one by one while they were sleeping. So uh, this actually happened, right? Yeah. 
this it's this it. is real. Yeah, this definitely. So when they say based on a true story, they're talking about this, right? This other haunting stuff, haunting in Long Island. You know, it gets a little uh, that a little n- iffy. N- none of that is confirmed. We'll call the ghost hunters on this one to see if it's true. So this guy is go- going house to house. He's killing everybody. The room last person. He's going house to house. <laughs> Oh, really? He's just killing his neighbors? He's stalking the neighborhood. No, his family members live in different houses. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going room to room, killing his family members as they sleep. The last person he kills is this little girl. Wait, who? Was he the dad of that family? No, he's he the was, brother, he was right? the eldest son. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Son. Okay. You confused? I'm still confused. Which is why the movie makes no sense. This doesn't make any sense. The, the original guy who murdered the family in that house was a 23-year-old man. He was the son, eldest son of that family family. He killed his siblings and his parents. Yeah, keep that in mind as we go through the plot of this movie. Keep, keep these and, facts and, and in he mind. Was pa- he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Yes. A, the murderer is a 23-year-old man. B, he used a shotgun as his weapon. And three... Oh, we're going A, B, three? <laughs> his last victim was the little girl. I think those are important yes. facts to know yep. because that's going to bear witness as to what we're going to be seeing in this movie in a little bit. Okay, so the movie starts with Ryan Ryan Reynolds trying to purchase a home with his wife. The real estate agent is showing them around this home where the Amityville horror took place. And something really strange happens. As they're upstairs checking out the home, a shadow of a of a ghost <laughs> walks across the room and the real estate agent is vi- visibly reacts to it. She's she's like, oh no, not while they're here. I hope that they don't see the ghosts here because I want to sell this house. It's It almost implies that the real estate agent knows it's haunted. Yeah. And doesn't care that it's haunted, that she's not scared by it, she's not upset by it, and just wants to make whatever type of commission she's going to make off of this sale. She's the villain, right? Because she she knew the house was haunted. She's the only real person who does something wrong here. Right, yeah. What's really, what struck me odd in the scene is that her her reaction to this ghost was just like, oh no, not while they're checking the house out. Yeah, well, she's got to make her commission. She can't freak people out. That's a reaction to a ghost? Mine would be like terror and panic. My worldview would collapse. (laughs) You know, this also starts... (laughs) Hers is, oh no, I'm going to lose like a hundred (laughs) bucks. Not this while they're checking the house out. This also is the beginning of kind of very confusing sound effects in this movie where we're hearing things and it's it's very confusing of if, if it's just an effect that they're doing to scare us or if it's something that they're hearing. They're actually hearing. When they, when you see that shadow, there was like a like a whooshing sound or something. Like it sounded right. like there was something there. I was under the impression that they could actually hear this stuff. Same here. There's a lot of whispering and moaning going on in the background. Yeah. I thought Ryan Reynolds could hear all that stuff. I I, I was almost sure that he could hear that stuff that that was the ghost i guess speaking to him you know i'm pretty sure by law a real estate agent has to tell you up front that there were brutal grisly murders in this house but this real estate agent she's not forthcoming with this info they have to tell you anything that's going to affect the value of the home and mm-hmm. murders occurring there is definitely something that may affect the overall value of uh, your property yeah, i mean that's how you got this place so cheap right troll yeah <laughs> 10 million people died <laughs> In the bathroom alone. <laughs> so they buy the house, and immediately after they buy the house, we get, boom, black screen, white text, day one. Oh no, this is the first day. They really gotta stop doing this in movies. <laughs> this has gotta stop, because whenever this happens, doesn't it automatically set you up in your head? You're like, oh God, how many more days of this <laughs> do we have to sit through? Like when day 15 popped up later on, like, oh man. How, that only happened twice, right? We saw like day one and day 15? And then day 28. Oh, we saw day 28? I don't yeah. even remember that. 
It's one thing if you're going to do it like progressively. Day, day one, one, two, day, three, four. Yeah. One, 15, 28. What's the point? <laughs> yeah, why even bother? Yeah. It's just a, a lazy way to show that time is elapsing, right? You know, speaking of time, so this is supposed to be a period piece. This is supposed to take place in the 70s. Yeah. This movie did not feel like it was in the 70s at all. At all to me. The only thing that was 70s about it were some of the clothes and yeah, the that, cars. That's script writing. It's not the costume designing or anything. Yeah, like they were talking like people talk today. It wasn't that long ago, though. What do you want him to say? Cheerio! <laughs> Cheerio! Actually, I think... Cheerio! Yeah, why? It's Where America! <laughs> to me, they just seemed like We're a couple of... with me. <laughs> <laughs> This is the 1800s. It's 1800s England. <laughs> okay, so you wanted them to say words like groovy, far out. Somebody should have said that once or twice, right? Like the, the babysitter. Or, or the babysitter the, definitely could have said it. At the very least, play some 70s music in the car while they're driving around. There was like no music in this whole movie. Yeah, they didn't set the mood at all. So to me, they looked like they were a couple of Brooklyn hipsters that moved out to Long Island and they found the house. That's it. They, they moved, they looked, they moved they looked out to Long day. Island because they wanted to be closer to their their most local organic farm. Yeah, <laughs> artisanal cheese. So, what was you? What, was, was did the film look too nice for you? Like that did you too. Want it to be grainier. That too. Yeah, it didn't feel like the period. It felt like a bunch of people in costumes going to the seventies dance. Let me get this straight. Are you trying to say that a period piece has to have the film? If no. film existed in that time no. period, look like it's from that time period? No. The King's Speech felt like the time period that they were in. Yeah, but the film didn't look like it was from whatever the nineteen. 19- Fine, I'm not saying. That. 40s, like the people aren't yeah. the people in the movie aren't behaving like the time period. They didn't. How do you do know? You weren't even alive. Are you so sure? <laughs> Don't be so presumptive. <laughs> Your idea of it has been sculpted by media. Okay. Like you expect them to be like that '70s show, but the things like that. Yeah, I thought Kelso was extreme uh, takes right. on it. How about this? How about this? How about this? Take a show like Mad Men that absolutely feels like it's in the '60s. Yeah. Because of the props, like they're watching stuff on TV, the the music that's being played, the things that they say, the things that they're talking about, and these are just like incidental things that they mention. Mm-hmm. They could have done a little bit of that to set up that it's the '70s or. Whatever. I don't think that the time period it takes place in is even relevant to whatever. Yeah. Then why Small. even bother to set it in a true study? story? All right, this dream turned into a nightmare. It's so scary it because it actually happened. happened. <laughs> But you understand what I'm trying to say here. You would like effort on the the movie maker's part. That's too much, right? To make you feel like you're there, right? In a, yes. In a is that horror? too much to ask? Yes. They want, a movie? All they yeah. want to do is throw jump scares at you. And you want them <laughs> to do research. You to want get Ryan stock Reynolds footage like, from the 70s to put on the television. You want Ryan Reynolds to live with Mr. Lutz and gain weight to look like him and come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I just got vetoed on this. I, I don't think the they're 70s, using J horror tricks, and they're not even doing a good job. I don't job, think the so. 70s were, were were as drastic as you think they are compared to today. Like the clothes was different. Are you sure? Like if I went back in a time machine, I wouldn't walk out into the street and I would just hear all along the Watchtower being covered by Jimi Hendrix playing on loudspeakers everywhere. Yeah, that's what they did with those old like horns <laughs> from like the Cold War. They just hooked them up to Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> it was playing everywhere. I just think that we were focused on a single house. We never left that house. No, we we went to an Italian uh, eatery. 
Okay, we went to a, a, a miniature restaurant and a strip mall. Yeah. But there, there was no, I don't, I didn't think there was any opportunity to put us there, but I don't think it took away from it either. Here's how you do it. Ryan Reynolds is reading a newspaper with Richard Nixon's face on it. The end. And that would have made us a better movie? Infinitely better. You're insane. You're mentally ill in Amityville. <laughs> <laughs> now it's the part of the movie where we get to see all the little bits and pieces of the house. Ryan Reynolds is in the basement. He finds a radio and all of a sudden, as if two dimensions were colliding with each other, the movie White Noise was kind of peeking its head <laughs> into the Amityville horror. Mm-hmm. This clock radio. This, the time goes back, right? It was like a 316. And it goes back to 315. Back to 315. Yeah, which, that's like the magic hour in this movie. For some reason, it's significant, even though that's never explained. I guess that's when the murders happened. That's the only way this can make sense. Because but, whenever there's a clock in this movie and whenever anything weird is happening, it always jumps to 315. It doesn't make any sense, though, in the context of why he's going insane or why the original person went insane. Because yeah, that has that has nothing to do with time. Their house was a, a murder dungeon, <laughs> medieval, it's insane asylum. Yeah, if you're going to say the 315s when the original murders take place, I'm going to say we don't know when the original murders took place. I'm going to say that this has been going on for a long time. Okay. Families have been killing themselves in this house for generations. It's a family affair. Yeah. I mean, this is also around the time where we're introduced to the family, which we haven't really discussed yet. I had a huge issue with the introduction of the eldest son. I guess he looks like a bully. Joel, you are positive he's a bully. I started screaming, like, that kid looks like a bully. <laughs> we have to stop the bullying. <laughs> he went on this anti-bullying. He went on this anti-bullying rant. He was, really was out of control. <laughs> but apparently my, my bully fears were not unfounded because... He was a bully in the butterfly effect. He was the bully, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the mother in this movie looks like she's 28. She looks like she's our age. She looks like she's 28 years old. At most. At most. Her son, the bully, <laughs> looks like he's 17. He, I'm just, he, he's a 17-year-old. He's a teenager. He's a grown man. <laughs> He's shaving in one of the scenes. He came out of the womb, a full-grown man. That would mean that she's, she was 10 when she got pregnant with him? Yeah, pretty much. Nine, 10? Yeah, this kid was way too Hey, big. hey, it is Long Island we're talking about here. What is your, what is your deal with Long Island? I don't even understand this. So the oldest son is Billy. He's the bully. The, the youngest son is this little turdlet that I just wanted to punch. I hated him. He was terrible. You hate this kid for no reason. <laughs> no reason. I like this kid. Why? Because he's lonely kid in the Polar, guess, Polar Express. Express. The triumphant return <laughs> of the lonely boy. Now, this kid was also, if anyone's seen Daddy Daycare, this kid played The Flash. No one's seen Daddy Daycare. Everyone should see Daddy Daycare. Okay. And if anyone watched the TV show No, no Ordinary Family, he was the son on that show. No one watched that. <laughs> I did. I like that show a lot. Okay, look. This kid, he didn't act. These characters are just, let's be honest, they, they just fill a slot in the family. They're there to, I guess, get killed? Yeah, I thought they were going to be just cannon fodder. That's what I thought. There was no acting going on, and... No, not really. I don't blame them. Nothing was really asked too much of them. Although, there was a diamond in the rough, right in before our very eyes. Yeah, Chloe Grace Moritz? The future hit girl? Let me in. <laughs> Let the right one in. <laughs> <laughs> Joel wants to get in. 
Thoughts? Right. Yeah, it's fun to see her at the beginning of her career, I guess, you know? Yeah, what, is she like eight years old in this? Like, yeah. If that? This is like seeing Joseph Gordon-Levitt on 30 Rock from the Sun. 30 Rock from the Sun. He's really far in outer space. No, third, third Rock from the Sun. She was all right. Joel, you were hating on her for, for no reason again. I, I thought she was a tremendously towering talent. You said she was piss poor. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Did you think that she was too terrific for such a terrible and tasteless <laughs> yeah. turd like this movie? Or is that too true? Okay, so this is the point in the movie where we get our first and only sex scene. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds is having sex with Melissa George, and she's on top. They're going at it. And then Ryan Reynolds sees a little something in the corner of his eyeball. He sees a little girl, and it's a, d- a dead <laughs> little girl hung. She's hanging as if... <laughs> They hung her in the Old West. They lynched her or something. She had just fallen through a stockwood floor at the gallows. <laughs> and she has been rotting there for uh, probably three or four days. Can we, like, stop and think about this? What was the point of this? Now, I can understand that they want to start showing the ghosts off pretty quickly. They want to show that Ryan Reynolds is seeing them. But why was she hung? She was shot in the head in the beginning of the movie. That's a fact. But what does it mean? Like, she, she's the decided that the, the ghost was like, eh, bullet holes aren't scary enough. I'm going to hang myself here. I, I really don't know. And it's our first ghost encounter, and it's already set the stage that this movie's completely stupid. <laughs> I It looked terrible, right? It just looked I terrible. Couldn't, I, I, it was laughable. This it's is supposed to be a jump scare, and I, we just started laughing. This is the Amityville J-horror, really, right? Right. Because everything that they do is just ripped off from The Grudge and all those other kind of movies. Which is kind of interesting when you think about it, because the original Amityville horror was one kind of horror movie. So they remake it in 2005 and they do all the gimmicks of the day, which is just J-horror crap. Did any of you guys find anything even remotely... Interesting? No. I was going to (laughs) say... Anxiety inducing. Did it scare you at all? The only thing that scared me during this whole movie was when one point Joel laughed so quickly and loudly. It was like a <laughs> piercing sound in my ear and it made me jump. That was it. I'm glad I could. So do that Joel for you. Joel gave you a jump scare. Yeah, Joel did. Well done. Reader You're, beware. You are scarier than the Amityville horror. You're in for a scare. I don't watch horror movies. I just want to get that out right now. I don't watch them like ever. So it's not even like I'm desensitized to this stuff. Yeah. It's just not scary. I'd imagine if if you were in a movie theater, this would get really old really fast because there was like a light, bright flash, a loud noise mm-hmm. every 30 seconds. Jump scare, jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. It was obnoxious. If I was in the theater for this, it would have been nap time. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. So the next transition, and it, it's pretty quick, right? We go right from like sex to them going to see the little girl in her room. I don't even think there's anything in between. So Melissa George is walking around the hallway. She hears little Chloe talking to someone. She walks in. Ooh. And says, who are you talking to? She says, my friend, Jody. But there's no one there. So it's like, you know, a little girl. She's got an imaginary friend. It's edited to like when Melissa George walks by, like there's no one in the chair. But then when she walks by the chair, all of a sudden the little dead girl's in the chair. That's not scary at all. This was stale like 10 years before this movie even came out. The youngest child can see, see the ghost. Yeah. And it doesn't scare them. Well, they would be the most scared. <laughs> not only that, it's not just this little girl that can see the ghost. Everybody in this house can see the ghost. They just choose, choose not to not believe to b- it. Believe it, and then the little girl just sees it constantly and talks about it openly to her mother.
mother and her mother's like, uh, that's not true. But she's seeing it also. So <laughs> that makes no sense. No sense at all. The it girl, really is upsetting. She seems to be possessed sometimes, right? Yeah. Like, she, she, yeah she's walking on the roof. things that, that don't make sense as if she's possessed, but they don't do anything with that. Like, are the ghosts possessing anyone? It definitely seemed that way. Oh, they must be because they're if they're not possessing you, they're at least influencing you psychologically because that's what's happening to Ryan Reynolds, right? They tried to portray this little girl that was killed in the original murder as a force of good. She's cast for the friendly ghost. Yeah, and she's trying to scare them out of the house to protect them. But then they show you a scene where little Chloe is walking on the roof of this 10,000 foot tall house. <laughs> the way that they, the way that Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes shoots this scene, it makes the house look like it is 10,000 feet tall and she's on a ledge that is literally two inches wide. She's dancing on the tip of the Washington Monument. She's moving. She's grooving. She's moving. She's grooving. Teeth are like chiclets. She's about to fall (laughs) off this house. But she moves through the air with the greatest of ease. (laughs) Yeah, this is so pointless. Again, this is just J-horror crap, right? It's just really stupid. From scene to scene, they just don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they want to do. It's like, hey, let's have a jump scare here. Hey, let's have the little girl possessed over there. Let's have the dad lose his freaking mind in the basement. They didn't know what they were doing. You're right. No, no direction. Did anybody get a thread that ran through the entire movie that strung these scenes together in a coherent way? No. Because I was, I'm going to be honest, I had trouble connecting what was going on in this movie with anything rele- relevant that happened before. The story was just made up and it did. they didn't have to reference anything that happened in the past. We keep seeing flashes of ghosts and stuff. And the ghosts that we're seeing or the, the scary imagery that we're seeing is in no way, shape or form connected at all with the original murder no. that was shown in the beginning of the movie. No. I believe what they're trying to do here is that they're trying to say that there are greater forces at work here? Like your theory that these murders have been going on for eons into the past? Yeah. Epochs. <laughs> yeah. Before <laughs> the first man there were murders taking place here. Before the first life form existed there was murders taking place in this house. <laughs> Bacteria on bacteria violence. Cyanobacteria were killing eukaryote, whatever. All right. So, I just... But then the ghosts would, like, turn on each other, right? That's true. It seemed like the little girl ghost was being attacked by other ghosts. Yep. What was happening? (laughs) And it would happen when no one would see it. Like, there was the one time where the little girl ghost is up on the ceiling being held by, like, these giant man hands. Getting groped by giant man hands. No one sees that. We're the only ones that see that. None of the movie characters see it. Yeah. Why? What Why? was the point of that? What was happening? Why do we care? Why do I care? I don't care. Do you, did you have once, did you care what happened to these people? Nope. Never, right? No. Actually, to be honest, I was hoping Ryan Reynolds would just chop them all in half with that. <laughs> I was begging for it. I, I was. I wanted him to kill them so badly so we could just turn this off and move on. That's what I was ready for. This, like, please, just kill them. That's so why this movie, but you know what though? That didn't happen in real life. And that's why this movie is so scary because it actually actually happened. Well, Kevin, we got this incredible scene where this little seven-year-old kid goes to take a piss <laughs> and we see him violently shake himself <laughs> off. He's a shaker, not a tapper. That's not shaking. That was that was manhandling. Yeah, he was playing with himself. <laughs> and then a little when, too aggressive, huh? Yeah, a little too aggressive. And then when he went to go wash his hands, Gollum from the Lord of the Rings popped out. <laughs> yes, he did. was like, hey, boo, what's up? And then diarrhea started shooting out of the faucet. Like, it was Dante's <laughs> beak. I didn't get that either. You have this Gollum-looking diarrhea man. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Yeah, 
was Diarrhea Jones. He pops up and scares him, and the kid turns the faucet on, and Diarrhea shoots out. And he, he what run- does this have to do with anything? So there were forces at work here <laughs> trying to get Ryan Reynolds to kill his family. Yes. And then there was other. That's forces. a fact, right? It's like The Shining. Then there were also these ghosts that were just appearing to people, scaring them. That doesn't mesh. Why would there be ghosts? scaring them, which inevitably would scare them out of the house, right? Yeah, they want them dead. Exactly. So what's happening? (laughs) This house is really confused with what it wants. Yeah, I mean, in the house, it's part of this, right? It's possessed, for sure, because later when... They throw holy water on the floor. Yeah, the priest throws holy water on the floor, and it's just burning and sizzling. And it's like, it starts speaking, right? It's like, get out. (laughs) (laughs) Like it says, get out, right? Yeah. I didn't imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) That that was... There was a lot of tacky moments in this movie. The tackiest one was when, as he's running out of the front door, the house is like, get out. <laughs> We're like jumping all over the place, but I think it's because there's like, it just was there's one no cohesion. jump scare yeah. to another. Yeah, these all these events are interchangeable, right? You could just reshuffle them in any order. Yeah. And all that matters is the beginning of them going into the house and the way it ends. And all the crap that happens in between is just totally arbitrary. Yeah. Okay, so the uh, 17-year-old boy complains that he does not want to have a babysitter for the night, which is understandable. He's a grown man. Okay, he doesn't need a babysitter. He's got a 401k. (laughs) He's got a good amount invested. He's thinking about taking it out and just moving to California and living off his 401k till he finds another job. But his parents, his parents say that's a bad idea. You need a babysitter. You need a babysitter. So this extremely slutty? That's a good word for it. Rest? That's the word. Uh, Acting? A babysitter comes over and Ryan Reynolds, I guess, looks at the boy and goes, still don't want a babysitter. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, you recognize this girl immediately. No, not really. (laughs) I I IMDB'd her on my phone. She's not another character from Grey's Anatomy, is she? And it turned out this is Rachel Nichols who played Scar it in Rise of Cobra. The triumphant return. The triumphant return of Rachel Nichols. I didn't recognize her, and I still don't even think that those two people look alike, but apparently it's her. Well, she was wearing red hair in G.I. Joe. She's wearing a lot red of blue in this eyeliner in this movie. So this slutty babysitter comes in. She's smoking pot. She's making lewd gestures and <laughs> comments towards this little boy. What is she, what, she's making lewd gestures? <laughs> what is she doing? She had like her tongue out. So she's telling the little kids the tale of the grisly murders, getting them all riled up and scared. So they're in the little boy's room, the closet's there, and little Chloe's Grace Moretz is in contact with the dead girl. And apparently the dead girl ghost really hated this babysitter. Because she used to babysit for the family that got killed. And she kept getting really high, I guess, or she was bad bad to them. I don't get it. Yeah, she's bad to the bone, whatever. So they trick her into going into this closet, and all of a sudden, the door... They didn't trick her. <laughs> they dared her, and she accepted. Yeah. Yeah, so she goes into the closet, and the door supernaturally slams shut with the force of a thousand suns. Just, <laughs> just slams shut. It's a very hard force. <laughs> it's a very, very powerful shut. And she can't get out, and she turns around, and she sees the ghost of the little girl. Mm-hmm. And something is she unusual a ghost? Is, she, is she a ghost at this point? Because I feel like she has, like, a corporeal being. It's like a poltergeist. What does this little girl do? She grabs her hand. Pull my finger. And... <laughs> 
points her finger out and puts it into the bullet wound that her brother put with a shotgun in her head. It is absurdly stupid looking. She takes this girl's finger and jams it into her bullet hole so she can like twiddle her brains or something. I don't. It was laughable, right? Laughably bad. I would have just like stopped and like calmly said, what are you doing? Like, what? what is this? What, is, what does this mean? <laughs> it's just so stupid. Why are you really locking is. her? Are you going to hurt me? Like, like you, you heard there was a squishing sound effect when her finger went in. Why would the ghost want to do that? It's just insinuating that she has a body also, though. It's just stupid. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so the babysitter has a mental breakdown, collapses. She's the only person in this movie that has a, a reasonable reaction yeah. to the events that are unfolding. So let's just fast forward to uh, what happens later the in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the end. <laughs> That's the end of the horror. That's what I wanted to do the whole time. Bye. So earlier in the movie, Melissa George is hanging in front of her refrigerator. It has all these magnets with letters, and the letters in claymation Gumby style, they rearrange themselves to say, kill them all, catch them all. Catch them and kill them. Yeah, catch them, like ketchup. That's how it's spelled. K-E-T-C-H. And later on, we see that the original murderer, he wrote that exact phrase, catch him and kill him, in his diary. Mm -hmm. So Ryan Reynolds, he's going nuts. He's losing his mind. He's seeing things. Contusions, delusions, psycho. He didn't do a good job of selling that, by the way, in my opinion. Yeah, they showed him watching a film of the family that was taken 15 days prior, two weeks ago, and curled up with a blanket and a bowl of ice cream, weeping like they had just passed away 20 years ago, and it's the anniversary <laughs> of their death. He was the psycho-sick lunatic by this point. So again, we're throwing another curveball where like he starts seeing demon faces when he looks at the family. Yes. I guess that's to push him to kill them. How is that happening? Are the, the ghosts are making him see this? Or the ghosts projecting onto their kids? Like, what's... <laughs> it happens very rarely until the end. It happens more, right? I'm supposed to believe that he's kind of slowly becoming more murderous as this movie goes on. We don't really see why, though. Just there's, his mere presence in the house. There's, like, whispers every once in a while, but, like, we're not hearing what he's hearing. We're certainly not feeling what he's feeling. If he was feeling boredom, I was feeling that. <laughs> <laughs> It was just really poorly done all the way through. But we do get to see a little insight into what might actually be happening within the house. Okay, so in the beginning of this movie, the realtor claims that the house is one of the oldest homes in the area. In the world. On Earth. Yeah. It is the oldest home on planet Earth. (laughs) Yeah, it's older than the uh, cave paintings in France. Yeah. Older than the the earliest settlements in Mesopotamia. Yeah, it is very old. It's uh, uh, the, the, The foundation was created in the 1600s. Obviously, that's not very old in comparison to a lot of buildings around the world. But in America, that's, I guess, about as old as it gets. And I guess in the 1600s, there was a very interesting character. (laughs) (laughs) His name was Reverend Ketchum, spelled with a K. And he, he was where he was dressed like Beef of Vendetta or Van Helsing. He had that hat. Yeah, he was, he, he was dressed like the Rembrandt painting that's on the uh, cover of Dutch Master Cigars. Well done. Well done. He's dressed <laughs> like that, wearing the long black cloak, the large black hat, and he runs a torture dungeon. It was a torture chamber beneath the house. There was a lot of them. There was multiple cells. This stretched very far into the, this underground ground area and it ended at a circular ritualistic altar. (laughs) 
<laughs> where this Ryan Reynolds, I guess, is led through this area where all these characters that we're seeing in the movie popping up, they're scaring them. I guess it all shows where they originate from. Yeah, I guess all the ghosts were victims. And you finally get to the Reverend, and he's being led through it like it's a haunted hayride. Yeah. You're, the, the camera is on a track, and it's going back and forth from character to character, and they pop up and go, I'm hanging, and <laughs> blah, I'm diarrhea, man. And <laughs> they finally get to the Reverend, and he's like, I'm going to kill myself with a sickle. And then the, Is Ryan, that what he did? Is that what that was? It was a, yeah, it was a sickle. Oh, I, I said that blood came from nowhere. No, no, no. He's, he Ryan his, Reynolds is bathed, bathing in, in blood. blood. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a gorgeous sight. Yeah, he's raining in blood. Pantera. Yeah, <sighs> or Slayer. Or whoever. Slayer. Who cares? It's he dips his Bible. No, blood rain. Blood rain. Nice. Uva bowl. Yeah, he dips Yeah, so his- what they're insinuating here is that some warlock in the 16th century, very, very similar to the plot twist of House of the Dead. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think this guy's probably on a pirate ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some some guy in the 1600s was went on a murder spree, and that set the stage for to turn this place into a haunted house. This is insane. This is insanity. <laughs> <laughs> this is utterly insane. This is the new information that MGM unearthed in their research. Did they dig under the house and discover <laughs> this there? I don't. Uh, they dug through a pile of rejected scripts <laughs> and fused them all into one. Yes. Because this really feels like 10 different plots all merge into one. Oh, yeah. This movie doesn't know what it wants to be. You know what? I really hope that they posthumously awarded this guy's family whatever they were entitled to in this lawsuit because oh yeah this, this is insane this is insane and their their defense doesn't doesn't really have much of a leg to stand on people who made this movie ought to be ashamed of themselves <laughs> quite frankly yeah and they slandered this guy's name pretty thoroughly at this point Ryan Reynolds has gone full wacko he's got nuts he's got an axe he's running around the house now it's fully on, full on the shining at this point yes he magically materializes a shotgun from out of nowhere mm-hmm. they, they didn't set up this gun at all at all it literally just appears in Ryan Reynolds' hands. And he's it was going, like it was like the house gave it to him. The house is like, you need to kill him with a shotgun. Here you go. Enjoy. And he run, he's running around with his gun. He's hunting these people. And it's pretty stupid. There's, there's not much to talk about, except two things that I thought were funny. One is when Ryan Reynolds comically falls off the 10 billion story roof of the house. <laughs> he just rolls off really stupidly. And second is when the family is running around in the rain on the roof. They're trying to get off the rooftop. And the littlest boy <laughs> is doing something pretty amusing. Doing like the thriller dance. <laughs> I thought it was like a, like a Frankenstein hands. <laughs> It looks really stupid. It's like a zombie. If you ever see this movie, look out for that. It looks really, it's, it's comically stupid. If yeah. you if you played the thriller music to it, though, it would fit in. <laughs> it's dancing. Yeah, so Melissa George figures out that she needs to get Ryan Reynolds away from the house. But at this point, Ryan Reynolds is going to flat out murder them all. And after Ryan Reynolds falls off the roof, Melissa George picks up the shotgun, puts it up to the back of his head. She's got him dead to rights. Oh, man. And she could blow his head off right then and there instead of shooting him point blank, killing him and saving her oh, children. He, he he grabs the gun yeah. and puts it to his forehead. Taunting her. Yeah, he's like, go ahead, pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. Look. So, yeah, so Melissa George like hits him with a shotgun. He passes out. Which is weird. It's like a very ginger hit to the side of his head. Yeah, she just like brushes it by his head and he knocks him out. Yeah. And then we get the ultimate cheap move where we see Ryan Reynolds get up, pick up an axe, and just drive it into Melissa George's belly at 
full force. She's dead. Like a shock wave goes off. <laughs> she dies. But then, whoops, it was a psych out. Ryan Reynolds, it was all a dream. Ryan Reynolds wakes up in the mud. This pissed me off. She just knocks him out again, though. And she's like, come on, Billy, we got to get him into away from the house. They get him onto the boat. He's still completely unconscious. And then they just drive away. And this is where they drive out of this psychotic, insane universe that is the Amityville Horror House, where it's the middle of the night, a thunderstorm. Literally the middle of the night. There is not even a insinuation that there is light. Thunder and rain. And they drive out of the boathouse into another universe where it is the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Sunny skies. Sunny skies. It's the afternoon. They're going to need some UV protection out on that boat. Yeah, well, now that they're out on international waters, uh, Ryan Reynolds wakes up. The and- Long Island Sound is international waters? Yes. That's- I don't know how any of those kids could sleep in the same house as that guy. After he tried to murder them brutally? Yeah. And then we get this real cheap, illegible type at the bottom of the screen that says, after 28 days, the family fled the house and they left their possessions there. They'll never come back. I the didn't end. even notice the text <laughs> until you like pointed it out. It's completely illegible. It's, this movie's really stupid. So that's it. That's the Amityville Horror. The end. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. The problem with the Amityville Horror is that, in a very real sense, there's nothing there. Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. You might think the Amityville Horror is just a copy of the 1979 original, but there's much more to it than that. It's also a knockoff of at least four other movies and one music video. Chris Hewitt, St. Paul Pioneer Press. Thriller music video? <laughs> He's referencing <laughs> yes, that, 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 one, one that one, like, half a second scene. And finally, a smorgasbord of strobe lights, screeching soundtrack, noises and silly specters. Nick Shager, Slant Magazine. Okay, guys, this movie currently holds a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? Absolutely. It's uh, worse than 24%. I would drop this down into the low teens. Where does One Missed Call lie in comparison to this? I enjoyed One Missed Call. It's more coherent than this movie. It has a understandable storyline that I can follow. Very relatable plot, too. Oh, yeah, I could totally relate. I, 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 I can relate to both these plots, actually. This movie is the worst kind of horror movie, where they're trying to be scary, but not actually doing it in a clever, interesting way with a story or script. They're just copping out and using gimmicks, and it's not even to the point where it's cheesy, so you can watch it and laugh at it. It's just boring and totally confusing. I would give it a solid one out of five. <laughs> I don't know why I had to think about that. It's a solid, it's it's a horrible movie. Stay away from it at all costs. This movie's poo. <laughs> Poo-poo? Poo-poo? <laughs> One out of five, 100%. Just, just wow, you could go... No in, question. That's like saying it's a zero... It's 100% zero percent. Yes. <laughs> this movie's terrible. There's nothing of any redeeming value in this. I can't re- recommend it for any reason. There's nothing nothing good about this. It's really disappointing. I agree. This was a piss poor performance all around. One out of five. No doubt about it. Yeah, this movie was absolutely terrible. Just like you said, boring, boring, boring. Boring? You know what, though? But it was scary because it actually happened. Yeah, okay. That too is ridiculous. This is <laughs> This movie is horrendous. Ugh. 
Okay, let's read some listener mail. I feel defeated. Jonathan writes in and says, I will be honest. Waterworld may not make the most sense, have flat examples of acting and pale in comparison to better post-apocalyptic films, but setting logic aside and taking it for what it is, Waterworld is three things. A, an enjoyable cult popcorn flick that deserves repeat viewings. Dennis Hopper steals every scene he is in and the overall premise is interesting. B, it is, at the end of the day, only a movie and we must remember this. C, although the concept is severely flawed, it still is more accurate than Roland Emmerich's 2012 will ever be. I completely disagree with almost every point. Yeah, I respectfully disagree. I, I mean, I don't really see the point of comparing what's more realistic, 2012 or Waterworld? <laughs> I don't know. What's Wh- smellier, poo or vomit? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Waterworld still is my number one worst movie that we've watched on Yes That Bad. It was so long. Yep. That is yet to be dethroned for me. Is it, is it the length of the of the film that really... I'd sooner watch Valentine's Day again than sit through Waterworld. Absolutely. You know, I received a challenge from my cousin the last time I saw him. A movie worse than Waterworld. The Postman? Wow. Yes, actually, he <laughs> did challenge us with The Postman. He says that that movie goes on, that when he was in college, they had a contest where everybody in his dorm got together, got a copy of The Postman, and wanted to see who could watch it the longest without having to turn it off. A complete <laughs> defeat. Somebody was able to make it two hours into the movie without freaking out and having to turn it off in complete and total despair. Huh, perhaps that's in our future. Kevin? Please don't. <laughs> why? Please don't do that. My question is, like, if you go to a, a college and that's, like, you have free time, why would you do that? Because you have so much free time when you're in college. It's like, what the hell? Everyone pissed away time that was really valuable. See who can watch The Postman the longest? That's that's masochistic. I pissed away a lot of time. Yeah, not watching The Postman, though. No. Nicole writes in and says, Hey, guys, so a while ago on your Facebook page, you know, the one where you hit the like button and you can get free bonus episodes <laughs> to download. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Wait, what Facebook page is that? Facebook.com slash yes, that bad. <laughs> you can get bonus content there if you click the like button today. Anyway, a while ago, it was mentioned that one of you met Kevin Smith. And in the past, Kevin Smith spoke about meeting famous people and how he is disenchanted with the whole scene because of how some stars act. So my question is, have you ever met anyone else who is famous or quasi-famous? Your impressions of them and how they handle their fan base. Do you believe that famous people should think of their jobs like customer service since they're basically selling their craft? I'm not disenchanted with any of the famous people that I've met. They were, for the most part, down to earth, but I didn't go running up to them gushing. It was just kind of coincidental that I ran into them. Hey, so can we talk about like which famous people have you seen? Let's just do that. Oh, seen? Have you just seen in, in the real world? I saw George Clooney. How's his beard? It was... Yellow? <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't no, Mark, beard. Mark Wahlberg it was, um, had the yellow patch. It was when he was filming uh, Syriana, so he had a, b- a beard for that. Yeah. I don't know. I've I've seen Bruce Willis. I saw Nick Cage. Um, they were actually filming. Nick Cage was filming his 9-11 movie in, in a town right next to us. So we saw him a few times. Oh, man. If he only he knew. <laughs> If only he knew. Well, I'm the one who met Kevin Smith. Yeah. And as for famous people, one time I was, I went to a haunted house in the city. And when I was getting in line, there was this girl in front of me. And in my head, I was like, man, that girl really looks a lot like Felicity. If you remember that TV show. And as I got closer. Russell? Correct. And as I got closer and closer to her, I was like, oh my God, that is Felicity. <laughs> and sure enough, I was inches away from Carrie Russell standing in line to go on this stupid haunted house. Joel, me and you, 
both met Ron Jeremy together. We did indeed. We did indeed. Kevin, you and I, we met Ryan Dunn. Yeah. We did. Remember that? We did. I met, um, I met Cal Ripken Jr. He was really cool. I'm sure there's other people that I'm free. I, like, I'm not. I met Bill Bellamy once. You know who that is? Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay, so that's pretty much it. Okay, yeah. Okay, so the next few emails are rather lengthy. So let me just plow. I saved them for the end here. So let me just plow through these. Okay, Christian writes in and says, Hey guys, I recently listened to your show about about the A-Team and had some info to share about the state of CG effects in movies. I work in the effects industry, albeit in TV animation for Nickelodeon, but I know a little about what goes on in the industry in general. Is he working on The Legend of Korra? You'll find out in the end. So why would a movie with a high budget like A-Team have less than stellar effects? Well, there's a lot of factors that go into that. The two things that affect the quality of the CG is budget and schedule. Usually the studios and producers want to pay as little as possible to get the work done as quickly as possible. If you ever heard the old adage, you can have it cheap or you can have it fast, but never both, that is 100% true for CG effects. So you can put it together that setting low budgets and having tight schedules has a pretty devastating effect on quality of the finished product. The director or producers are usually the last word on the effects and if they don't have a discerning eye they may not care how accurate the end product is. On top of that there's a lot that comes down to personal preference and aesthetics. You'd be amazed at how often something that is set up to behave 100% correct to real world physics will look fake to most people. It might be that doing a real simulation was too expensive or would take too much time or maybe the director wanted it to be stylized. There's often a too many cooks spoil the soup problem in Hollywood. Everyone from the producers to the director of to the effects supervisor to someone's girlfriend might have a say in how things look. Sometimes if a sequence is completely CG, like the tunnel into the river scene in the A-Team, there's no reference point of realism. They choose to make it up from scratch because they either didn't have the time to shoot it or couldn't find the right location or didn't want to find the right location. When you're making everything up, there's nothing really to match it to. Often in those situations, things take on a hyper-real, shiny plastic quality. They start to look more like a video game cutscene instead of real life. There's also different levels of effect studios, not to take anything away from anyone. I am by no means the best there is, but there's smaller studios that just don't have the manpower, money, or talent that someone like Industrial Light and Magic or Weta Digital do. Budget and schedule will often dictate which studio they end up using. Maybe they can't afford someone big. Maybe all the big guns are booked up on other projects. Sometimes the producer will know someone at a certain studio, or the director might be a part owner in a certain studio, like Michael Bay and Digital Domain so they will go with that place instead of ILM. There's also just the problem of running out of time. Hope that helps a little. I'm a new listener and have been running through all your shows over the last few weeks. So if it means anything, you can say that someone was listening to you while making SpongeBob SquarePants and Kung Fu Panda Legend of Awesomeness. Keep up the great work. Very cool. Yeah, that was interesting. And enlightening. Educational. I wonder whatever happened to our buddy that worked on Catwoman. He never got back to us. I think he got like fired or <laughs> because of us. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, that was a good email. And thanks for that email. That was very interesting. And finally, here's the, the saga of Max Payne. Ma- this movie, shockingly, brought people out of the woodwork. They really had a lot to say about Max Payne. There's so much here. I, I don't even think we can go through it all. But uh, one of the big things here is uh, Kieran sent in this email telling us all the differences between the movie and the game. Apparently, they really botched the plot of the movie. What a shock, huh, Martin? That- uh, yeah, it's very surprising because it was so coherent the way it was. And uh, finally, Miles chimed in to answer the mystery of Max Payne's gun. I mean, that really was weighing heavily on all our souls that night. (laughs) 
still bothers me. So Miles sent in a first, he, he sent in an email, but then he sent in a correction. But in his email, there's a little story here that I wanted to talk about. Do you remember when Max Payne got shot in the stomach with a shotgun? Yes. He, he started running around. So Miles says, there are cases of people usually hopped up on drugs, but not always withstanding devastating injuries. The most dramatic of which was a case in Clark County, Illinois, where a liquor store robber took 33 rounds of 9mm hollow point ammo and the 12 gauge slug and continued to try to fight until a police officer finally put him down with a final 12 gauge slug to the back of the head. He was still trying to reload his gun, but his ulna was broken, so his hand was just flopping around and he couldn't load his 45 caliber pistol. Autopsy revealed that he had to be blind due to the bullets through his optic nerves, and he also had a dose of heroin in his system that probably would have killed three normal men. See, like, when I hear stories like that, I automatically assume that it's angel dust, right? Most people, whenever you hear crazy stories like that, you think that they're on, on PCP. But this guy was on heroin? Know, that's a pretty interesting story. That's that's unbelievable, though, because that sounds like this person was essentially able to withstand the damage that zombies are able to take. So, uh, Scott writes in via Twitter, he says, Max Payne is shooting a Taurus judge, a revolver that can shoot shotgun shells and other ammo. That is, that is unbelievable. <laughs> And then to put an end to the Max Payne saga, Miles writes in with a correction to his previous email. He says, upon further analysis, those weren't exploding shells. Those were probably supposed to be a 410 shotgun shells fired from a specialized revolver, the most common of which nowadays is the Taurus Judge. <laughs> a horrible cartoonish weapon, which unfortunately is about as popular nowadays as the Macarena was in the 90s. It seems that an awful lot of people buy them. It seems that an awful lot of people buy them as their first handgun with the idea that it will send villains running in terror and that you don't have to aim a shotgun. Well, you do have to aim a shotgun and in unskilled hands, one of these can have recoil so bad it will break a frail person's wrists. So I guess the moral of the story is don't be a frail person and own this weapon. Yeah, don't be a weak, weak man. Yeah, don't be a weak, weak, weak man. Live in a world of strength by a Taurus judge. (laughs) But there you go. That answered all those questions. Thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yadstepad at gmail.com. Now it's time for the question of the week. And the question of the week was sent in by Trick Pixel via our Facebook page. And Trick writes in and says, what's a movie you initially hated, but eventually grew to love it over time? Head on over to yadstepad.com. Leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. You got anything, Kev? I didn't like Napoleon Dynamite the first time I saw it. No. But then it grew on me over time. How many viewings? Probably like the third fourth one. I'll tell you one thing. Uh, the first time I saw I Heart Huckabees, I was not a huge fan of it. And then as I kept watching it, it was like a real slow burn. By like the seventh or eighth time, I think I give it like a solid four out of five. Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it's time to announce the movies for the next listener's choice poll. And the theme will be high school in the 1990s. And the movies are The Faculty versus Disturbing Behavior. Head on over to Yes, that bad.com where you can vote in the poll between the faculty or disturbing behavior. As for next week's movie, we're going to be doing the 2011 Emile Hirsch Christmas classic. <laughs> The Darkest Hour. This next episode is going to be, is one of our pre-recorded episodes. We recorded it way in advance because... Because we will be unavailable to record because it's my wedding weekend. Oh, wait, I got to get a suit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, Kevin's getting married next weekend, so we couldn't record. So we recorded this episode way in advance. Just me, Kevin, and a special guest. Oh, yeah. special guest. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> a special boy? Whoa! <laughs> yeah, does, so... Uh, does his mommy love him? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so next week will be the pre-recorded episode of The Darkest Hour starring Emil Hirsch. So head on over to our Facebook page. Leave Kevin a little congratulations, you know? Yeah, sure. This is his last podcast as a free man. Yeah. And you really went on a yeah. high note. The Emily the <laughs> As a free man. I'm not going to prison. <laughs> of matrimony. <laughs> yeah, so to recap, head on over to yesabed.com where you can vote in the poll between the faculty or disturbing behavior. Tune in next week when we will be reviewing The Darkest Hour. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please help spread the word of the show to all your friends by liking us on Facebook. You can follow us at facebook.com slash yeah, it's that bad. You can follow us on Twitter at Yeah It's Bad. You can follow Martin at Yeah It's Martin. You can follow Kevin at Yeah It's Kev. And you can stream the show on all your mobile devices via Stitcher. You can get that at stitcher.com slash Yeah It's Bad. Put in the promo code Yeah It's Bad to really help out the show. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time. Would she want to live in a murder house? It depends, I think. What's a mur- a house where murders happen? <laughs> yeah, or is this house trying <laughs> to murder me? Are there like, like murder the- rooms? Like, like did Jigsaw because- own this house before? Yeah. Be- because in this movie, this is a murder house. It's trying to kill them. Sure. That's a good point. What kind of house are we talking about here? House is trying to kill me? It's a house of sand and fog. And leaves. Life is a house. Of wax. <laughs> <laughs>